All right. <clears throat> Chapter 20. I just want to say a couple of things, and this has been on my heart, that I want to commend all of you faithful Thursday night comers and those who are tuning in and listening. Um, you have endured the hard stuff. What do I mean? Well, chapter 6 through 19 has been tough. And I kind of touched on this Sunday morning as we went through chapter 19. But, you know, it's, it's one of those things where in the book of Revelation, as we have gone through specifically chapter 6 through 19, that tribulation uh, time, known, the time known as the tribulation, um, we've been off the scene. I say we, I mean us believers, us Christians, uh, the bride of Christ. As you know, uh, we had been raptured up, taken up to heaven. Jesus came back in the clouds. We heard the trumpet. The trumpet sounded. The dead in Christ rose first, and then we went after them. And he took us to heaven, and um, we went to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And that's all we know. And Christy and I were just talking a few moments before service started, and it's true. Um, then we got to go through everything that's happening down on earth during that time. And it's not been a pretty picture, as you guys have known. Pestilence, disease, um, great death, great numbers of death, armies rising up, the Antichrist establishing his government and power, and uh, martyrs and beheadings and uh, not just to mention all of the th earthquakes and, and just all of these things uh, coming down and not much is said about us and that's a mystery that the Lord keeps to himself. We know we're in heaven and we know we're at the marriage supper of the Lamb but we don't fully exactly know what that looks like or what that means except for the fact that we're in his presence and we're in heaven with him. So how glorious is that? Why are we told so much about what's going on down here on earth? There's many reasons that we could all probably come to a conclusion on, but really it's to let us know that God means business. He does mean business, and he will judge an unbelieving, uh, Christ-rejecting world um, very seriously. And what we don't want is our loved ones and our friends that are non-believers and don't know the Lord to live through that and go through that. And so what's our job? To spread the gospel and to spread the truth about the Lord. And, uh, and we wanna see people saved. We wanna see people come to know the truth and to, to know Jesus as their savior so that they can go up with us and avoid all of that. So it is good for us to know and the Lord does bless us. He blessed John with the vision uh, of all of those events that would take place. John was able to pen those and write those things down and record them for us in God's word. And we do get to study those things. But guess what? In chapter 19 on Sunday, we come back onto the scene with Jesus in his return to earth. And as he has returned to earth, we were with him. We talked about uh, the armies of the world have kind of gathered around Jerusalem. They thought it was just an easy battle. This is not going to take long. We're going to go ahead and take that. And what they, what they quickly realize is that um, they end up in a battle that they quickly realize they cannot win. And that's against uh, Jesus himself. And he just says a word, and they're annihilated. And so is the beast, which is the Antichrist, and the false prophet.
they are thrown into the lake of fire, and that was last chapter. But someone was missing in that picture, and he gets his own chapter, and that's why we entitled tonight's chapter, Satan Gets a Timeout. He gets dealt with tonight in our chapter. So let's get into it. Revelation chapter 20, verse 1. Then, I like that word. It's an action word. It means something's about to happen. Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven, having the key to the bottomless pit and a great chain in his hand. He laid hold of the dragon, that serpent of old, who is the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. We'll stop right there for a moment. This is the picture John is seeing. He sees the, an angel, just an angel. And remember, we talked a little bit about the awesomeness of uh, the angels and Every account you read, especially even in the Old Testament and New, but any time people came in contact with these angels, these messengers, they were just blown away. All they could do is just fall down and they began to worship and they say, please do not do that. I am your fellow servant or your fellow brother in service. It's like, wait, me like you? No, you're too awesome. And so John sees this angel, but it's just an angel, an unnamed angel, not Michael, not Gabriel, just an angel. It's almost like God's like, okay, it's time. Um, let's see, who's not doing anything right now? Oh, you, yeah, over there. Angel's like, me? Yeah, yeah. Go get him. Grab that chain over there. Yeah, just, just get him. It's time for a timeout. He's been, you know, causing all kinds of trouble for centuries. Go get him and, and just wrap him up. Just an angel, unnamed, just this one angel, and he's got to do it one-handed because he's got a chain in the other one. So he's got to grab him and rustle him around a little bit, and then he's wrapping him up in this chain. Okay, and then what does he do with him? Verse 3, he cast him into the bottomless pit. Now, another version will say he threw him in, and I kind of like that. Get over here, Toss him in. He's not going to put him in there gently. Now you stay put. No, he says he casts him into the bottomless pit and shut him up and set a seal on him so that he should deceive the nations no more until the thousand years were finished. But after these things, he must be released for a little while. Oh. We'll get into that in a moment. But let's get the scene here. What is John seeing? He's, he's seeing the time when Jesus is going to set up his millennial kingdom. And that is going to be a beautiful time because all throughout Scripture, there's sections of Scripture that um, give us glimpses of what that will look like. It says, when Jesus comes back, we'll be with him and we had a great picture of that in chapter 19, but in Isaiah, it talks about how when Jesus comes back, excuse me, Zechariah, Jesus comes back, he sets his foot on the Mount of Olives. And when he does that, that mountain literally separates and splits in half. Half of it goes to the north and half of it goes to the south. 
and from Jerusalem, water will flow. And it'll flow to the west, all the way into the Mediterranean. But it'll also flow from the east and into the east through the Kidron Valley and eventually making its way down to the Dead Sea. And when it gets to the Dead Sea, all of a sudden, life will begin to flourish in the Dead Sea. It talks about fishermen casting their nets into the Dead Sea and, and getting great uh, catches. The valley, as rugged and arid and barren as it is now, will spring forth fruit trees. It'll be beautiful. It's likened to the Garden of Eden type setting. In other words, things will just flourish. It'll be beautiful during this millennial reign. Jesus will set up his kingdom in Jerusalem. And this is the picture. These are the things that John is seeing. But something has to happen before that. And what happens is Satan is bound up in this chain and he's cast into the bottomless pit or also known as the abuso. And remember what we talked about before with the abuso. Remember the abuso is the place locked up where the worst and the worst of the worst demons reside. What do you mean? Well, there's demons that are free all over the place and they study you and me and there's, it's believed that there's probably some even assigned to us perhaps and they, they study our weaknesses and they know and there's a hierarchy and, and there's all of these things that we believe to be true. But there are demons so wicked, so evil, so gnarly that they're locked up. Thank goodness they are because what if they weren't? Can you imagine the world worse than it is now? It would be if they were free to do what they do. So they're locked up. Well, that's where Satan gets cast into right here. Remember, this is the place in uh, Matthew chapter 8 where when Jesus cast out the demons, they begged and pleaded with him, just, just, just let us go into that herd of swine, please. Don't send us to the Abuso. Why? Because even they were terrified of the demons that are in the Abuso. How's that possible? I don't know, but it is. And so Jesus allowed that, as you guys remember. So that's where Satan has been cast into. He's been thrown in there, and a seal was set upon him. And it says there, so that he should not deceive the nations. Isn't that interesting? Could you imagine our nation today without any deception going on? Could you imagine? We have been bombarded with deception. And it has really ratcheted it up, I'd say, probably in the last three years. Oh, it's always been there and, and everything like that. And you, you see it here and there. And there's corruption and all that. But we have really been hit broadsided with deception and deceiving spirits, I truly believe, in the last few years, especially politically, if you, if you look at it that way. We have just been overwhelmed by the deception. And here's the thing about it. It's like, I get it, like a deception or a lie. It's kind of like what Satan did in the garden, mix a little bit of truth in there, make it believable. They don't even do that to us anymore. They say, we know what you're seeing, and you know what you're seeing, but we're going to call it this, and we want you to believe that. And that's exactly what they expect. 
like we're some kind of like dumb robot or something and we're just programmed to believe whatever they say. Can you imagine if deception was removed? That's going to happen. And we're going to see the benefits of that. What would happen if Satan were bound up and the deception were to vanish? Well, it would create a pretty awesome world. One that's very much very similar to the one that was created before the fall of mankind. Why don't we turn back? Let's just read a couple of these things. Turn back with me, if you would, to Isaiah. And you can, you can turn there or you can just listen and write it down if you'd like and you can look at it later. But when Satan's locked up and he's not able to go around and do the things that he does and cause deception and, and all of the chaos that he creates, oh, what is going to happen? Well, we're going to live in a world where verse 25 of 65, chapter 65, Isaiah, the wolf and the lamb shall feed together. Oh, that wolf right next to that lamb. That lamb used to be lamb chops, but now it's just a, a homeboy sitting there feeding together side by side. The lion shall eat straw like the ox, and dust shall be the serpent's food. They shall not hurt nor destroy in all my holy mountain, says the Lord. The animals will be tame. You won't have to worry if you go up in the hills for a hike about mountain lions attacking you or tracking you down, or you come across a bear. You finally get to go up and hug that big old bear with no concerns, without getting eaten. How about let's turn over to Micah. Micah chapter 4, verse 4. But everyone shall sit under his own vine and under his fig tree, and no one shall make them afraid, for the mouth of the Lord of hosts has spoken. Sit under his own vine. What does that mean? It means you just really, you won't have to work for anyone else. You'll be just kind of free. You'll, you'll be able to just provide for yourself under your own vine. You're just like, oh, man, I'm going to walk out and grab some grapes. And they're going to be the best grapes you've ever eaten. And you'll be able to, your family's with you. You won't be slaving away, clocking in, clocking out doing your 40 hours a week. No, you'll just, mankind will just be able to relax and take it easy. It'll be Garden of Eden-like. Well, back to our text. These are going to be very good times. They're going to be very prosperous times. We're also told that the wealth of the Gentiles will flow into Jerusalem. Awesome stuff. We get back to verse 3. A seal has been set on Satan. He shall not deceive the nations until the thousand years are finished. Now, the thousand years we're talking about here, that is the millennium. And that is a literal 1,000 years. Some people believe that those, that is a figurative idea um, and some believe in the millennium, some do not. This is a true thousand years. 
that Satan will be locked up. Keep in mind, during the tribulation time, vast numbers of people have died. So the earth has literally, its population has basically been decimated by all of the, the death, armies going after armies, uh, the beheadings and those who lost their lives for being Christians and not taking the mark of the beast and, and going along with that agenda. Um, the pestilence, the disease, uh, the earthquakes, all of those things that we've been studying very diligently through, that has taken a lot of life. So the earth's population must be built up again. And we're going to see why, because there's going to be a vast number of people towards the end of the millennium, as we will see. But at the beginning, oh, the population of the world's been just brought down to a crazy low number because of what it's just gone through. And so we know that this thousand-year reign is a literal 1,000 years, and we will all be millennials. That, that's going to be a good thing then. Well, it is now, but anyway. Um, verse 4, And I saw thrones, and they sat on them. Excuse me. And I saw thrones, and they sat on them, and judgment was committed to them. Then I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for their witness to Jesus, and for the word of God, who, uh, who had not worshipped the beast or his image and had not received his mark on their foreheads or on their hands, and they lived and reigned with Christ. Getting back to the first part of that verse, and I saw thrones, and they sat on them, and judgment was committed to them. Who are these people sitting on these thrones? Well, it would take us back to the book of Luke. This is something I think we should read together. Luke chapter 19. You might remember this parable. I'll start in chapter, uh, excuse me, verse 12. And these are red letters, so this is Jesus speaking to us. Therefore, he said, a certain nobleman went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and to return. So he called 10 of his servants, delivered to them 10 minas, and said to them, do business till I come. But his citizens hated him and sent a delegation after him saying, we will not have this man to reign over us. And so it was that when he returned having received the kingdom, he then commanded these servants to whom he had given the money to be called uh, to him, that he might know how much every man had gained by trading. Then came the first, saying, Master, your mina has earned ten minas. And he said to him, Well done, good servant, because you were faithful in the very little, in a very little, have authority over ten cities. And the second came, saying, Master, your mina has earned five minas. Likewise, he said to him, you also reign over five cities. It's an interesting parallel because it's a picture of what we will be taking part in. 
See, you and I are in this world and, and we've been given gifts. God has given you gifts. He's, been given, he's given me gifts and yours are different than mine. Sometimes we share the same. But the point is, is what have we done with what God has given us? What are we doing with that in this life? Are we trying to um, add to the kingdom by using those gifts? It goes on to talk about the servant who didn't really do anything with it. He just says, well, here it is, and gives it back. But the concentration for tonight's text is the ones that did much with the gifts. That's you and me. That's you and me. What are you doing with your gifts and your talents? How, how much are you using those to further the kingdom of the Lord? It says there, verse, back to our text, those who were sitting on the thrones in judgment, it was given, committed to them. That's you and me. That's you and me. We come back and we help Jesus. We reign and rule with him. Yes, he's on the throne. He sets up his kingdom in Jerusalem during this literal thousand-year reign. But you and I were, will also have responsibilities in those times. And guess what? It'll be based upon what we sort of did in this world to, in this life, to further his kingdom. It seems clear in the, in the last pa uh, parable. So, wait a second. I'm going to judge people? I'm going to rule and reign and I'm going to be looking after and in charge of things? Yes. Yes, you will. The millennium will be so awesome. It's going to be so awesome for everyone involved, but particularly you and me. Why? Well, one of the things that's always jumped out to me is this. When we got raptured up, when Jesus came back for his church and we are taken up, this body and this fleshly bleh, tent cannot exist in the presence of God. It can't live in heaven. So what happened? I got a brand new body. I got a, a new body in Christ so that I can even be and dwell in his presence. And so will you. Remember our teaching we talked about a billionth of a second? All of your back aches and oh, your hip and headaches and all depression, all that stuff, that's all gone because now you're in your heavenly body. It reminds me of when Jesus in John chapter 20, remember he just kind of showed up and they, they make a specific point, the word makes a specific point that Jesus showed up to speak with his disciples and it says, and the doors were shut. In other words, the doors were locked because they were still afraid uh, lots had happened at that point in time, so they shut everything up. The doors were locked. And I always wondered, why does it make uh, such a point to say the doors were shut? And I love teaching this part to the kids, junior high, high school. I've taught Revelation to them many times. It's because Jesus was in his new body. He was in his resurrected body, and guess what? Didn't matter if the doors were shut and locked. He just went right through the doors. Yet Thomas could still touch and feel and put his hand in the wound and in his side. And that's when he believed. But yet he could just materialize right through a wall and right through a door. You and I will be able to do the same thing. How sick is that? I can't wait for that. 
I tell the kids, I'm just going to freak people out on purpose. They'll be walking down, because they're going to still be in their mortal bodies. Now, Satan will be locked up. He won't be out to cause all the garbage and the stuff in this world that he does with deception and making people sin and bringing catastrophes and all those things. He's locked up, sealed. So people will be like, good for the most part, except they're still in their mortal bodies and they will still have that human fleshly tendency. We won't because we'll be in our, our new heavenly bodies and that has, that's all passed for us. We're on our new heavenly bodies, but they're still mortal. So they're like we are today. They have to go through a door. I can just go through a wall. If I see some people coming, I'm just going to wait, and then I'm going to poke my head through a wall. Ha! I'm going to scare them. Um, I probably won't. That will probably be frowned upon. But I, just, I think about it now, and I'm just like, that's going to be fun. You know, just mess with people. Not really, but judging people, what does that mean? It means that we are going to help the Lord and we have been given responsibilities in that kingdom at that time to really enforce his righteousness. You and I have been called on at that time to help enforce righteousness. What do you mean? Well, it means the people that are in this world still, the survivors of the tribulation. There's going to be people who make it through it. There's going to be uh, a third of the Jews will make it through it. We're promised that. So a third of the Jews, the remnant, they will be there. Uh, those who sided with the Jews and, and helped them, uh, they will be there as well. And these people will have regular lives. They will marry. They will have children. All of those things will happen. They, they're mortals and they will have a life like you, similar to you and I today. It'll be glorious living under their own vine, no jobs, things that used to be barren, arid deserts are blooming with fruit trees. It's back to kind of like the Garden of Eden setting. It'll be wonderful for them. It'll be wonderful for us. But they're still going to have fleshly tendencies. What? Ooh. They might want to steal something. I mean, it's already amazing. Life is great, but what if they get an idea in their head and they start to come up with a plan and they want to get some sticky fingers? You and I, when they're developing that plan in their head, will go, hey, don't even think about it. <clears throat> I, no, I, I'm good. I wasn't going to, no, didn't think so. That's where we come in. Judging, it's not like that. It's like, we are enforcing the righteousness that will be in the world at that time. We're helping. We're, we're kind of in areas. Where do you want to be? I've, I told the kids I claim the Bahamas. That's my area of responsibility, my AOR. I've said that for years. I don't know if I want the Bahamas or not. Where do you want to be? Brookings. <laughs> Crescent City. Oric. Wherever we'll be, we're going to love it, wherever that will be. And you will be given responsibilities that is in direct correlation with what? What have you done with your gifts? What did you do with what God has given you and blessed you with? 
you know, have you, have you done tenfold? Have you done five? It's all going to be in perspective and in correlation with what we do today, now. And it's going to be perfect. No one's going to be like, hey, man, I really worked hard, and I only get five cities, and they get ten. It's not going to be like, we're, not, we're going to be like, you know what? That's perfect. I, I understand. I see it. There will be no disputes. Instead, we'll be so excited because of where we've been. Where have we been? Well, we've been up at the marriage supper of the Lamb. Remember we were told last week, excuse me, Sunday, there's two feasts in that chapter. You want to be at the first one because the second one, you get eaten. So we want to be at the one where we're eaten, and that's up in heaven, marriage supper of the Lamb. We've just come from there. We've got to mount up with the armies of heaven, these awesome angels that they just show up and one dude, oh, and they faint. They're so amazing. And they want to just start worshiping. Don't worship me. Worship God. I'm your fellow servant. And we're riding on these horses, man. And by the way, I tell my Raiders friends that, you know what? When Jesus comes back, he's riding on a Bronco. <laughs> we're riding on these Broncos, these horses, and we're coming back to this earth, and there's a little army down there that thinks there's something, and Jesus is just going to be like, bye, and they're, they're consumed, and he sets his foot down on the Mount of Olives. It splits in half, and all of this crazy stuff, and the planet begins to change. Topography literally changes. Water flows from Jerusalem, and it even goes into the Dead Sea, and life begins to spring, and we set up, he sets up his thousand-year rule in Jerusalem, and we get to be part of that in an unbelievable, amazing way, walking through walls. Think about a place we want to be. We just are there, and we're judging, and we're watching the people. Any wrongdoing out there? None detected yet. None yet. Nope, nope, nope. Beep, 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 beep. Stopped on Rob. Just kidding. No, and, and we'll see it, and we'll be like, oh, they're thinking, uh-huh, they're thinking about doing something. Better fix this. And we'll be able to help enforce that righteousness that the Lord is, has set up. How, how cool is that? You guys, I, I can't wait. I can't wait. You know, you look around the world right now, and you're like, how could it get better? It will. It will get so much better. Our minds can't even comprehend how amazing it's going to be. Verse 5. But the rest of the dead did not live again until the thousand years were finished. This is the first resurrection. What's the first resurrection? Well, it's not something that is one part of time. In other words, it's not one pinpoint event in time. Rather, it begins with the resurrection of Jesus, who is the first fruits. And everyone who accepted Christ from that point all the way until the rapture, perhaps even people uh, that, that died before the rapture, the people who are taken up in the rapture, hopefully that's you and me, um, the people even in the Old Testament, who 
can't really, you know, they, they were not able to ask Jesus into their hearts per se, but they believed in Yahweh and they lived a righteous life. The bottom line is the first resurrection is anyone who was, took part of the grand plan of salvation. That's the first resurrection, and that's you and me. Even if someone, you know, had passed away a month ago, the rapture hasn't happened yet. We think it's very soon. But even someone who passed away a few weeks ago, if they were Christians, they're part of the first resurrection. You and I will be. It's glorious. Anyone who's taken part in that grand plan of salvation, that is the first resurrection. Verse 6, but the holy, or excuse me, bless, I got to get my glasses. I really messed this up. Blessed and holy is he who has part in the first resurrection. Over such, the second death has no power, and they shall be priests of God and of Christ and shall reign with him a thousand years. So that's us. We're part of the first resurrection, and that's glorious, you guys. It says there, the second death has no power. Well, if someone were to, unfortunately, pass away, it's just their body that dies, right, if they're a Christian. The second death has no power. Why? Because we live forever in eternity with the Lord. But someone who is not, they experience too. Their body dies, but then so they have the second death as well. If a non-believer dies tonight, they go to a place called Hades, but that is not their final destination. And we're going to find out in a moment what that final destination is. But be that as it may, if a non-believer, sadly, unfortunately, were to pass away tonight, they would go to Hades, and that's a holding spot for a little while. It's no vacation, okay? But it is a holding spot. As we read on, we'll get some more clarity here. Verse 7, now when the thousand years have expired, Satan will be released from heaven. What? Why would we do that? Why would God do that? You know, it just tells you right there that God's in control. God is 100% in control, and he... He's got a little plan for Satan. Satan's going to carry out the plan perfectly. And so God's not done in his grand plan. He's not done yet. And so he needs Satan for a few more things. So Satan gets paroled from his little holding prison there. He's released, verse 8. And he'll go out to deceive the nations, what he's good at. He will go out and do exactly what he does. Boy, it doesn't take long, does it? Another thing I like to point out is, we've mentioned this before, God gets a lot of blame, doesn't he, for the bad things that happens in this life and in this world. Oh, how could God allow an earthquake to take, uh, you know, 700,000 people? And how could God allow these planes to fly into the Twin Towers and, and destroy and, and take all that life? How could God allow someone to, to run in with a, machine gun and shoot up a school. I, I just don't understand God. How, if he's a God of love, how can he? And he gets a lot of blame, doesn't he? But no one ever curses Satan for these things. It's God that gets the blame. That's the first thought in people's minds is, why does God? 
And it's partly maybe because they know that deep down he's in full control of all things, so why doesn't he stop it? But they don't understand that it's Satan that's doing all this thing. And when I was studying this chapter, I realized, you know what? This is the perfect chapter to point that out. Because what happens when Satan's restrained and in prison? Glorious things. Glorious, amazing things. When he's not out doing his stuff, it's a beautiful world. It's back to the Garden of Eden before the fall. It's wonderful. And I'm, re- I'm going to remember that. I want to point that out to people that blame God for all this bad stuff that happens. And I'm going to take them to Revelation 20 and say, check this out. It's a different perspective. It's a new perspective. It's something that we can share. No. Because guess what? When you release him, this is what happens. He goes back out and does what he does. He goes out to deceive the nations. Let's see, verse 8. He goes out and deceives the nations which are in the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them together to battle, whose number is as the, the sand of the sea. Now, it's an interesting verse. You see a couple of names there, Gog and Magog. You haven't seen those for a while. Remember, uh, you know, some people think that this might be the uh, destruction of Gog, Magog in Ezekiel 37 and 38. Um, it's believed that it's not that same battle. Um, because one, um, God orchestrates the gathering of Gog, Magog when they're destroyed at the beginning of the tribulation. Here, Satan is going out, and Satan is gathering them. He is gathering the armies. It could also be, too, that uh, perhaps this Gog, Magog uh, could be um, figurative. In other words, uh, it was literal at once, them being destroyed. But remember, we've also talked about Babel and Babylon and how, yes, a, a literal city, even right now, currently is being rebuilt. Uh, as a literal place, but also a mentality, an evil spirit of Babylon uh, exists making the leaders of the world to do the things that they do. So it could be something like that. So a couple of different perspectives on that. But be that as it may, Satan goes out, and I want you to see this, he goes out and he spreads deception among the nations. And when he gathers them together, what does it say? It says their number is as the sand of the sea. What? I thought that the population of the world had pretty much been decimated down to almost nothing. It was a thousand years ago. Here we are, fast forward to the end of the uh, millennium. Satan is released right towards the end of that time period. And when he goes out, now all of a sudden, population has grown back to a number. And the armies and the people that he gathers together, they're innumerable. Can you go count the sand at the seashore? Neither can I. Vast numbers of people will turn in rebellion. Verse 9, then they went up on the breadth of the earth and surrounded the camp of the saints and the beloved city. And look what happened. And fire came down from God out of heaven and devoured them. Satan goes out and deceives and he gathers this unbelievable, innumerable 
number of people to, to gather around the city. And the thought there is, you've had it so good for, a, for the millennium, the whole thousand years. You've had it so good. God has been nothing but good to you. You've prospered. You didn't even have to work. You ate from your own vine, the Bible tells us. How, after having it so good by the Lord, will Satan be able to turn them? To turn them on God? It's something that blows my mind. And yet, we understand it's that human, fleshly, sinful nature that they still have. And it's believed that throughout that millennium, all that is done through those generations has grown to a point now where, oh, it's easy to flip them now. But remember, another important key here is this. There's good and evil in this world today. And that's another point I'd like to make as well, and that is like, you know, one angel is dispatched to go handle Satan. Hey, go get him. Wrap him up. He's time out. One angel. And the idea there is a lot of people think, oh, gosh, it's a close one, good and evil. Who's going to win? It's touch and go. You know, It's like, no, it's not even, go get him. And an angel just takes care of it. I mean, that's the power of God. God is God. Satan is not. He's a created being. And so a lot of credit he gets. And yes, he's powerful. We're no match for him. We know that. But with God... Oh, it's, it's like, get out of here. It's nothing, right? But getting these people to turn on a dime on the Lord, it'll be easy for him because he's the master of what he does. Deception. And did we read verse 9? Yeah. The fire came down from heaven, and they were devoured as they surrounded the city. Verse 10, now it's time. The devil who deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone, where the beast and the false prophet are. And they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. How long is forever? If you get in a quiet room and just think about that thought, it'll drive you crazy. It will, because I've tried. And that's why I'm crazy now. No. I'm serious. Think of, like, forever. Okay, forever. Okay. You're thinking, okay, when's the end of that? Well, there isn't. Well, it keeps going. Okay, but for after that, it's for, for, forever. And you just... It never ends. Torment. And it says here in the lake of fire. And so he was in the abuso, released to do his stuff, and mass destruction happens. Fire comes down. He's taken, and he's cast into, and he ends up joining the beast and the false prophet. They were put there right away. But now they're in this lake of fire, of brimstone. 
you know what brimstone is, is sulfur. I looked that up because in another um, version, and many of you read different versions, I teach out of the New King James Version. Um, but I also like the New Living Translation for my morning devotions. And I read because it just, it really, well, it's kind of like talking like you and I would talk today, right? And it's just really kind of cool. Um, but in my research on sulfur, because I got interested, I'm like, burning sulfur, lake of burning sulfur or brimstone. It's actually on this uh, website that I was on. That's another name for sulfur. Just a side note is brimstone. They call it that. And sulfur will burn at about three, between 320 and 374 degrees Fahrenheit. So it'll do the job. Uh, it'll actually do that. But the Bible tells us, it, the Bible literally tells us what will heat hell. Fascinating. Sulfur. It's the 10th most common element in our universe and the fifth most common element on planet Earth. And so that is what, that's where he's cast into this lake of burning sulfur to join the false prophet and the beast. This is the end of rebellion. That's it. There's no more, okay, but then after another thousand, we're going to release them again. See, no, that's it. That is the end of rebellion. Satan is finally dealt with once and for all. It's over for him. And you know the funny thing? He knows this day's coming because he knows this word. He does. He knows the truth. And that's why we see the world in the chaos that it's in today. And you and I sense it. And my son and I were having a great talk the other day that even non-believers, and he's even seeing it too amongst his friends, like they, people know like something's up. The whole world can just feel it. And we can too. For sure, we know because we know the truth. We read God's word. But even if you're not into church and religion and Bible and all that, but if you stop and take three steps back and look at it, you go, wow, this is a crazy world. And it's getting crazier. And it's because Satan knows his time is limited. He's on a very, very short time frame. And he's trying to create as much destruction as absolutely possible. Verse 11. Then I saw a great white throne. And him who sat on it. From whose face the earth and the heaven fled away. And there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God, and books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged according to their works by the things which were written in the books. John now sees this. The scene has moved to this great white throne judgment and it says the dead were brought up where'd they come from remember we talked about it earlier if a non-believer dies tonight and the rapture hasn't happened yet they will go to a place called hades that's a holding area for them but then they're released and where do they go before god Ooh. talk about meeting your maker they're released from hades that holding area that they've been in and they're released and they go to this great white throne judgment. Now, will you and I be there? 
now. Not standing before God to be judged. Why? Because we were already judged when Jesus was on the cross. A Christian is one who believes that Jesus died on the cross for their sins. He's accept, he or she has accepted him into their life and sees what Jesus did for them, that free gift of salvation, and says, oh, Lord, and, and turns, repents, turns from their sins. Guess what? That judgment, whoop, off of you. And it was all put on Jesus. But some people don't care about that. They don't believe in that. So they reject that. And guess what? The judgment stays on them. Now it's time to deal with that. And so, whoop, they are brought up. And they've been in torment for however many years they've been there. And now they stand before God. Books were opened. And the dead were judged according to their works by the things that were written in those books. Great bookkeeping in heaven. Great things record everything. Could you imagine? Imagine your life before Christ, before the Lord came in and completely cleaned house in your life. Could you imagine all those things that you would have to be accountable for and give an answer for? And all of these things played out, read back to you, one after another. Do you know, you and I will, our minds can't even remember all of our sins. Amen. <laughs> Our minds can't. He, the Lord gives us a great ability to forget or not remember. Is that the same thing? It, could you imagine if we could remember every little tiny sin? I mean, we could probably think back on some of the big ones, like, oh, boy, that was a doozy. Shouldn't have done that. You'd like to relive a lot of things, wouldn't you? You'd like to relive a lot of moments so that you didn't go down those roads and, and get involved or whatever. But every little, tiny, little thing, the Lord allows us to get because we'd, we'd go crazy. Could you imagine standing before God and every single one of those is read back to you? Great bookkeeping. These are open and read to them, and you have to give a, an account. You're judged for all of the works and all of the things that you did. Man, at the end of that, you just go, okay, where's the closest way to the lake of fire? Is that how these work? Is that, is that fast? Because you just, I, I just, I'll go now. Don't even finish. I'll just, wouldn't you? Yeah, I mean, you'd just be like, I, I deserve it. God's judgments are perfect, remember? We've studied that over and over and over again through the tribulation period. How could, Lord, how could you allow 100-pound hailstones that's such, it's perfect, the angels proclaim that. Righteous and true are your judgments, O Lord. Verse 13, And the sea gave up the dead who were in it, and death and Hades delivered up the dead who were in them, and they were judged, each one according to his works. John is seeing this. You imagine that. Wow. Up until this point, John's seen a lot of stuff because he had to record and write down all of the things that 
the Lord had shown him. And there were some things, remember, he couldn't write down, remember? There was something, that's, that's the Lord's business. What you just saw, don't write. Okay, pen goes down. But he's able to record all of these other things because he's seeing this. Wow. I, I can't even imagine what that must have been like. But death is something that the non-believer will experience. Perhaps you and I will experience a physical death if the Lord should tarry his coming. And um, that's okay because, like Paul says, absent in this body, present with the Lord. So that is possible, but the second death has no bearing on us, means nothing, because we will spend eternity in everlasting life with him. But to a non-believer, death, bodily, so that's where the body, the, the body belongs to death. Where does their soul go? Hades. And now we see in this passage, both death and Hades give up and deliver the dead, and that is to be judged at the great white, white throne judgment for all of their works according to his works. Now watch this, verse 14. Then death and Hades were cast into the lake of fire. And this is the second death. This is where they kind of, they die twice. The body dies, death gets it. But the soul goes to Hades. Death and Hades give up and deliver up the dead to be judged for everything. And then death and Hades both join Satan, the false prophet, and the beast in the lake of fire. Verse 15, and anyone not found in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Earlier in a verse, it mentioned that these books were opened. And it says, and another book was opened in verse 12, which was the book of life. So... I think that's interesting because books are opened, the great white throne judgment, death, Hades, deliver up the dead to stand before God. But all these books are opened that has recorded all of the sin and wrongdoing of the non-believer. But then in that verse in the middle it says, and the book of life is opened. Now why is that? So if that's true, would we be there off to the side, perhaps? Don't know. These are things that I think about. I wonder. It's unclear. We're not sure. But what we do know is this. Here's where the believer can rejoice. The very last verse. Anyone not found in the book of life was cast in the lake of fire. Guess what? If you're a Christian, you're in the book of life. Yes. And you have not been blotted out. You, your name is in the book of life. Can you think back on your spiritual birthday? What's that? Well, that's the day you asked Jesus into your heart to be your savior and into your life and what we've been talking about. And when we realize we're a sinner and we need a savior and Jesus is him and we repented of our sins and we turned from our sins and we're trying to live a godly life, you remember that day, you remember what that was like. Your name was written in the book of life. 
the second death has no bearing on you. None whatsoever. And for the believer, we rejoice, do we not? It's been a long, long road getting through that tribulation, but man, these chapters are really, really coming to life, aren't they? They are really fascinating because we are directly involved here. The millennium, fascinating time. Reigning and ruling with the Lord. Oh, these are things that we have studied and dreamt about our whole Christian life. And now we're reading about it. It's going to happen. It's going to happen. It is true. God's word is true. And we rejoice. We look forward to these things. We've made great progress through this book, you guys. We have really put the hammer down. And we've made great uh, progress. It's been a joy. We have a couple of great chapters ahead of us. Can't wait to get into those. That's going to be fun.